At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Congress gets a bad rap sometimes, perhaps deservedly so, with its hyper-partisanship and the dysfunction of the legislative process. So it was a real pleasure recently when I spoke with Representatives Derek Kilmer, a Washington Democrat, and William Timmons, a South Carolina Republican, about their work leading the House Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress. The committee and CQ Roll Call worked to put on a webinar where I was able to talk to Kilmer and Timmons about the bipartisan efforts they are making to get the House to function better and in a way that serves the public interest. Yes, sometimes members of Congress can oversell what they do in the grand scheme of things, but that's why I also spoke with three experts on how the legislative branch works, Brad Fitch, Mark Strand, and Keenan Austin-Reed. We went a little deeper, provided a reality check, and tried to answer the question, are they really making a difference in the lives of the people they represent and the people who work in Congress? So we're going to use this episode of Political Theater to listen in on those conversations in that webinar and go deep. I hope you enjoy it. And warning, we do start things off in the webinar with a little smooth jazz. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for today's event, Modernizing Congress, Moving the House Forward. My name is Jason Dick, and I'm Editor-in-Chief at CQ Roll Call. Before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to thank the House Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress for partnering with us to make this event possible. The House Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress was created in the 116th Congress in the pursuit of a more efficient and effective Congress for the American people. With the committee beginning to wrap up its work for the 117th Congress, more than 140 bipartisan recommendations have been offered towards their endeavor. Kicking off today's program is the committee's chairman and vice chair, Derek Kilmer, representing Washington 6th District, and William Timmons, representing the 4th District of South Carolina. Reps Kilmer and Timmons, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, before we get to the, uh, the hardest questions, uh, I, I actually I just want to take a step back and just sort of recognize the sort of historic importance of this committee. Um, and, and this isn't to, to, uh, you know, to make you all feel better about, about your jobs. Uh, you, you have those rewards uh, in, in, in public service, but th- these sort of reform efforts don't really come around too often. Uh, you, know, we, we, you can almost measure them uh, by generations or decades. And I, th- I think that it's important to, talk, to give you an opportunity to talk about your perspective on being a part of this the things like the 
the people who will be watching this uh, this webinar uh, measure this in are things like the Budget Reform Act in 1974 and and, and things like that. You know that that you know that was in the 70s. <laughs> um, you know the, the, these. These sort of efforts are difficult uh, and they're difficult to manage and they're difficult to see through. So I wanna just ask you, the two of you to, to just like talk a little bit about your place in it, whether you know you you, you knew this was gonna be uh, a, a, a really resonant sort of thing when you got involved with it. Uh, and then we'll get into some more questions about the actual policy recommendations you've made and, and your priorities for the rest of this Congress. Uh, Chairman Kilmer, why don't we start with you about the, the historic perspective here? Sure. Well, you know, interestingly, one of the first meetings our committee had, we brought in the Congressional Research Service who walked us through the history of these reform committees which actually was an important discussion because it put our work in that historical context. It, it's about every 20 or 30 years or so, Congress realizes things aren't working the way they ought to, and they set up a committee like this to do something about it. Ours is called the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress, which makes us sound slightly like the IT help desk. But where our mission is pretty simple, make Congress work better for the American people. And when we had that discussion, I think it level set expectations in, in a couple ways. One, uh, when you walk through these prior committees, the Congressional Research Service provides some subjective analysis and refers to the successful committee from this year and the failed committee from that year. And each one of us didn't want when Congress sets up one of these committees in the future and CRS comes in to explain it to be referred to as the failed committee of uh, of the mid two you know of uh, of the 2020s. So the other thing I would say is it was useful because it it also helped inform the work we did. We set up a mission very early on just make Congress work better for the American people. That's included looking at things like staffing. How do we do a better job of building capacity for the institution to solve problems? How do we have an institution that uses technology better? Congress has been described as an 18th century institution using 20th century technology to solve 21st century problems. You know, we've even looked at some things that we weren't tasked with looking at, like civility and collaboration and how to make the place look a little like less like the Jerry Springer show. Ranking Member Timmons? Um, well, I was a prosecutor, small business owner, and I was fresher with government. Um, and when I got up here as a freshman, um, Leader McCarthy appointed me as a member of the committee. Uh, and it has been probably the most rewarding work of my life. Um, you know, we've, we had two years. Uh, last Congress, we were fortunate enough to get another two years. And we've made such huge strides. We have uh, an incredible team. All the members are working together. We're an anomaly in Congress. Obviously, right now, it's very challenging to work in a bipartisan fashion, but our, our committee structure is six Republicans, six Democrats, and we need eight votes to do anything. So we have to work together. And we have um, built relationships, and we have been very successful thus far. We share uh, the same staff. We don't, we don't divide the, the committee budget between Republicans and Democrats. We have one staff, and we work together. And uh, as the chairman puts it, we, we wear fixed Congress jerseys, not our, our jerseys and D jerseys. And it's just been incredible. We got eight months left. Uh, we're going to run through the finish line. We made a lot of progress thus far. We're going to monitor impl implementation, but um, uh, we're doing big things and there's big things ahead. That, and I'm, I'm glad you bring up the bipartisanship and sharing committee resources and so forth, because I, I, I do, you know, think that there this is 
in addition to its historic importance, that is one of these incredibly rare examples uh, of, of bipartisanship. And we're uh, in a uh, not we're not so bipartisan times, <laughs> if, if you will, at least uh, in in, uh, in politics, uh, we're pretty evenly divided. Uh, just just the margins of uh, in in Congress show that. And uh, I wonder, like, what was it when when you all were designing the the structure of the committee? Is this one of those things that popped up where you said, like, if we can't get this right? You know, was there pressure to be bipartisan? Everybody does have that pressure, but how did you sort of come down and just say, "This is we have to do this. If we don't do this, there's no point." Almost. So we actually had a choice when the when the committee was being established. In I actually said to the rules committee and I said to House leadership at the time, we should make this a committee with an equal number of Democrats and Republicans, and we should require a higher threshold to make recommendations. Because I, I am of the belief that if you're going to do broad systemic reform, it has to be bipartisan. There has to be buy-in from both parties. Uh, it, you know, The other ethic that we've taken onto this committee is if you want Congress to work differently, do things differently. You know, as, as William mentioned, the, the, the choice, it was a choice not to dilute our resources and put on red and blue jerseys, but rather to have everybody kind of on the same team. And we've got folks with a Democratic background and some with a Republican background, but we're all working together. If you watch one of our hearings on C-SPAN, uh, one, you probably have too much time on your hands. But if you do, you'll notice that there's some very significant differences in how our committee functions. We don't sit with Republicans on one side of the dais and Democrats on the other. Why do we do that? Well, when we hear from a witness, my genetic predisposition is to lean over to the person next to me and say, hey, that was kind of interesting. What do you think about that? And in our committee, when you do that, you're leaning over next to someone from a different party. We don't even sit on a dais, um, except yesterday when the microphones weren't working. But by and large, we sit around a, a round table. Why do we do that? Well, I don't know about you, Jason, but I've never had a good conversation speaking to the back of somebody's head. And so we've tried to engage one another in conversation and in learning together as a committee. We also don't do five-minute speechifying during committee. If you have a question, if you want to pull on a thread that might lead to some good ideas about how to make Congress work better, Take as much time as you want. And, and what we found is when you give people um, those opportunities, one, they don't abuse it. At least they haven't in our committee. And two, we have really been able to identify a lot more solutions because people aren't there to make a speech that they can throw up on their social media page. They're there to learn something and figure out how to make this place work better. I'll just briefly add to that. We've built relationships. Um, we are literally friends with one another and we... Um, value each other's ideas, and we work together. And it really has been a breath of fresh air. Um, I'm on the Financial Services Committee, and we don't do that there. So um, I really do enjoy uh, the work that we're doing and um, just look forward to the next eight months. Do you think it was easier because you were starting from scratch with this committee? I mean, the um, I, I mean, I think that the last count, like the Transportation Infrastructure Committee, had like nine thousand members on it. So, you know, like it's, you know, it's a very there are some entrenched interests. Is it was it was it sort of easier to do it because you started uh, at the ground level with with the the way that you're doing things? I think it's definitely easier because we only have 12, 12 people, um, and we've broken bread uh, half dozen times. We we have roundtable discussions. Um, it's easy to do with 12 people, um, but, uh, you know, I think 
the other committees can learn from some of the things that we um, ha have, have done on our committee, but some of them might not work as well. I hope they try. And in that regard, even, you know, even the idea of having joint staff, that has been one of our recommendations because we did it and we found that it worked. I will tell you when we started down that road at the beginning of the committee, uh, of the, the beginning of the committee's existence, I, there were a fair number of my colleagues who said, Kilmer, you're nuts. Um, but, you know, so it, it has helped in terms of being able to set up the operations of this committee from the very beginning so that when you said you want to do things a little bit differently, there wasn't any sort of legacy operations that you had to say, well, we're just going to really change this up. Having said that, even though we were starting from scratch, people still said, well, that's just a very different way of doing things. Um, but we've been okay with that. And to the credit of the members of our committee, they've been okay with trying something new. Let me add one more thing. So leadership is everything. Um, you know, the chairman and previous vice chair, Tom Graves, led by example, they worked together. They were respectful um, of one another and they had a bond and it showed and it was infectious. The, the rest of the committee um, followed their example. So I, I just want to point out that leadership is everything. And if uh, the chair and, and ranking member of a committee do not have a relationship, it shows. So um, I just want to point out that Chair Kilmer really has, has led by example, and it's it's been very successful. And I, I, I think also it has produced results, too. It's not just a kumbaya moment. You guys get together, get some tacos, hang out, and then, you know, don't produce anything. Let's talk about some of the significant achievements that you've managed in uh, with, with this committee uh, over the course of a, a Congress and a half, really, uh, a little more than a Congress and a half. What are what what are the most significant achievements from your perspective? I mean, the the uh, there there are a lot of recommendations that you could that the the CAO could just sort of say like, oh sure, and then some of you actually brought to it, it through it a legislative package. Let's talk about the you know some of the the top lines that you're the most proud of uh, as, of producing to make the house work a little more efficiently. Maybe I'll start with you know one top line is the fact that we've actually made some recommendations. Uh, and that we focused on implementation, I think, is is one of the most important pieces of this committee's work. Uh, we've now passed over 140 recommendations. About two thirds uh, have either been implemented or have seen meaningful action toward implementation. Some of the ones we haven't made progress on yet, I, I think, could be some of the most difference-making ones, uh, including uh, re potential reforms to the budget and appropriations process. Having said that, we have actually seen some forward motion on several of our recommendations that I do think are really important. You know, so I'll give you a few examples. The, uh, the establishment of community project funding through the appropriations process. I think there were, you know, uh, when our committee in the last Congress sat down and said, how do you restore Article I authorities to the Congress? How do you make sure that decisions that are being made on behalf of our constituents are being made by people who are closest to those constituents? And how do you do it in a way that's open and transparent and protected from uh, the type of abuse that you you saw in prior decades? So we really proposed doing something different. And to the um, credit of our committee, we were able to put that forward in a bipartisan way. And to the credit of uh, the leadership on both sides of the aisle on the Appropriations Committee, they largely took our recommendation, um, which I thought was really positive. I think over the long haul, one of the most important things uh, that we've put forward has been the focus on staff. Uh, the, the capacity of this institution to solve big problems uh, is 
very closely tied to the ability of this institution to recruit, retain, and have diverse staff. And unfortunately, over the years, you've seen almost a you know self lobotomy uh, every few years, because in the absence of those strategies for holding on to people, they go someplace else and they make more money. Uh, and it looks like uh, Congress is outgunned, and that's a problem. It means it's harder for the institution to take on big problems. It also, I think, gives out gives lobbyists an outsized role in the process, which I don't think serves the institution well. And then third and finally, uh, we made a number of recommendations re related to collaboration and civility. And when we took up that topic, I, I wasn't convinced that we could make any recommendations in this space. And when I mentioned to colleagues we were working on it, most either giggled or offered to pray for us. Um, but the reality is we put forward a whole bunch of recommendations in that arena that in and of themselves, any one of them doesn't seem like a game changer, but I think represent strategic interventions to make just change up the incentives in this place so that you're more likely to see Democrats and Republicans who have who, who are not going to check their ideology at the door, but will be more willing to collaborate on the things on which they can find some common ground, even, you know, just something small like, you know, William tells the story of showing up to, to freshman orientation and Democrats being told to board one bus and Republicans being told to board another. One of our recommendations was stop doing that, right? And which doesn't sound like that big a deal, but to the degree that we can try to make this place a little less, you know, Hatfields and McCoys, uh, perhaps we can make some progress for the American people. I'll just add to that. We made a lot of recommendations surrounding orientation. It really um, was overhauled to be very focused on uh, bipartisanship, focus on relationship building. It, it, it's going to take years for some of these recommendations to fully change this institution, but I do believe that a lot of the civility and uh, recommendations focus on bipartisan relationship building will have a huge impact. Um, I also want to reinforce what the chairman said. Um, our work for staff, um, to increasing staff capacity on the Hill is just incredible. Um, we were able to decouple uh, staff pay from member pay, so now staff can make almost $200,000 a year. Uh, D.C. is extremely um, expensive, and when you're offered a job downtown making double and triple that, it's very enticing. So keeping um, some of the more senior people uh, on the Hill is incredibly important. And then the other thing is the MRI increase. Um, you know, 21% MRI increase allowed all the member offices to increase their, their, their staff pay. Um, a lot of members did it differently. Uh, my office just did 15% across the board for everybody. Um, that means a lot, and it allows people to um, really develop professionally on the Hill and stay here and retain uh, the best and brightest people. So um, I, I think our work in the, the staff arena has just been incredible. We still have more work to do, but we've made a lot of progress so far. Can I can I mention one more thing on this topic, Jason? Please, please. The, you know, William just mentioned professional development, and with the exception of freshman orientation, I have never been part of an organization uh, that didn't have professional development opportunities for the people who work there. Now, we one of one of our areas of focus was expanding the staff academy, but we also recommended creating a member academy, so that when you know, let's just say you become a committee chair. Let's make sure that there's resources for members to figure out how do you do that well? Um, because right now there's no 
there's no training for that. Or, you know, part of the reason that you've seen dramatic turnover in this place is not everybody in this place is a particularly good manager. You know, you have basically 435 independent contractors working here. And so having the opportunity for professional development for members to be able to learn how to manage an office better or, you know, one of our recommendations was that that member academy should also look at training opportunities related to, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you collaborate better? How do you negotiate conflict better? These are areas where Congress has been punching below its weight in recent years. And I think with some professional development for members, um, maybe the institution benefits when people get better at their job. Time is, I think, the most important thing that we've talked about, time. Um, the calendar, the schedule, um, we have made a number of recommendations there. We need to work more, travel less. Um, in 2019, we were here for 65 full days and 66 travel days. That's just not enough time to do our job. So um, we have made a lot of relationship building civility recommendations. But uh, in order to build relationships, you have to have time to do that. Um, everybody talks about pinballing around around the Capitol. You have multiple committees, subcommittees, floor votes. Uh, you have to go to fundraisers. There's just all these different pulls on your time, and we're just not here enough. So um, I'm hopeful that we can be here more, and then once we're here more, we can deconflict the schedule to where people are not running between committees and subcommittees all the time, and you're actually able to sit down and listen to your colleagues and um, ask them questions about their ideas, defend their ideas. We don't defend our ideas in Congress anymore, and I think that's a big problem. So I just want to point out time is, is, is I think, an incredibly important part of, of fixing Congress, and it's something that we've been focusing on, and uh, I think we're going to continue to focus uh, on it for the next eight months. And that, that actually brings up something that every so often, you know, particularly when the majority changes, there's a short, short-lived effort for a five-day work week in Congress <laughs> uh, that, that uh, usually lasts about uh, a week uh, or so uh, and, and then sort of devolves back to arrive on Monday, leave Thursday night uh, kind of schedule. And, and I'm not trying to, you know, make fun of the, the congressional schedule. I know that there's a lot of work that happens in the district. Uh, it's it's not as simple as you know you're when you're not here you're not working, but is there is there an appetite you think with your colleagues to be in Washington for more intense periods of time before heading back so that you can have as you said you know Congressman that like more time to actually sit listen to your colleagues be present if you will uh, in 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 mind and in body uh, for for the work that you're doing. Absolutely. I think there is. And, you know, when you talk about deconflicting the schedule when we're here, it's really hard to do that when you're only here for two days because everybody wants to have, have their committee or their subcommittee meet. Um, and so it's just all gets jammed in. And then the, the lack of predictability for, for floor votes is a huge problem because you could be in the middle of, you know, the busiest stretch of your day and then you just have to reschedule everything. Um, and so I, I just think that there's some the more predictability that we can give uh, on the schedule and just more time, more time to do our jobs, I, I think that's a big component of, of what will really change this place. What's the biggest priority that the two of you and, and your committee would like to hit before the end of this Congress, uh, before the end of the 117th that, that's left out there, that maybe you're, you're struggling to get consensus on, but you really think that this is important to get it right? We're going to focus on, I think, 
two things. One, implementing some of the recommendations that we've made. So we're 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 pushing hard. We don't want to make recommend. You know, it's it's a what the old Saturday Night Live fake commercial for the for the bank that only makes change. Uh, we make change. That's what we do. Uh, we're not here to make recommendations. We're here to make change. Right. We actually want to see these recommendations implemented. So that will be one area of focus. The other is that we're trying to dig in on some additional issues that we think could make Congress work better for the American people. William just mentioned one of the big ones, and that's schedule and calendar. We've made some recommendations in this space, but I think there's still some fruit on that tree that we'd like to pick, um, because I think it is one of the most significant problems for the institution. There are some. There are two other um, Hail Mary passes, I would say. We had a really... Um, uh, uh, insightful hearing on issues related to the continuity of Congress. Those are really complicated issues, but really important, particularly if you think about potential disaster scenarios, which aren't fun to think about, but really matter if we're going to have an institution that's able to handle crises. Uh, I'd like to see us try to make some recommendations in that space. We're going to certainly, as a committee, try to work through those issues. And then finally, um, we're going to have a hearing coming up, I think, next month on what we're calling pathways to leadership. But it'll be one of the first times we've looked at some of these factors that are kind of outside the marble building, uh, uh, marble buildings here in Washington, D.C., looking at how does a member of Congress get here and how does that shape their leadership when they are here. So get, getting into some of the areas where it will be tough for us to make recommendations, but things like partisan gerrymandering and the primary system, which often sort of drives people um, you know, to, the, to their polls. Um, we'll see if we're able to, to make any progress on those issues, but we're definitely going to bring them up. I'll just briefly reinforce the calendar and the schedule and the floor votes. Um, I, I really think that we've, we've made some good recommendations, but there's definitely more uh, that we can do, and um, I'm hopeful that that will really uh, make a big difference and make this place work better. We've just got a couple minutes left uh, before we head to our expert panel, uh, but one thing that I, uh, I always like to uh, ask is a, is a fun one, which is, how do you get your Senate colleagues to do something similar? What would you tell them? Who wants to go first? <laughs> well, so I will say this. Um, I have now had sit downs with probably five or six members of the U.S. Senate who have asked to sit down and talk about the work of our committee. So I do think that there's some appetite from senators to 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 look at this. Listen, functional organizations look at their effectiveness more than once every 20 or 30 years. And I think the fact that our institution is doing that, that the House is doing that is really important. And I think uh, frankly, some of the challenges that bedevil uh, 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 our nation's capital are not limited to the U.S. House of Representatives. So I'm, I'm hopeful that they will look at, at replicating the work of our committee. I think we're going to lead by example. Um, you know, the, the success that we're going to have is going to cause them to look and say, well, why are we still doing this this way when we could change and it would be better? Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic. Well, Congressman Kilmer, Congressman Timmons, thank you so much for taking some time to, to talk about this committee. Again, it, I, uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that CQ Roll Call loves to cover because it's all about the institution and it's all about you know, how the place works and functions. So thank you so much for your time and, uh, and good luck the rest of this Congress. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. I'd now like to introduce our expert panelists to talk about the committee. 
Brad Fitch is the president and CEO of the Congressional Management Foundation. Uh, hello, Brad. Good morning. Mark Strand is president of the Congressional Institute. Howdy, Mark. Hey, Jason. How are you? Very good. good thanks. And Keenan Austin Reed is the co founder and chair of the Black Women's Congressional Alliance, as well as vice president of the Alpine Group. Welcome, Keenan. Thank you, Jason. Good morning. Morning. So, uh, had a nice discussion with uh, Congressman Kilmer and and uh, Congressman Timmons. They, uh, um, you know, they 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 talked about some very radical, uh, you know, kind of recommendations like like working a full week <laughs> in, in Congress. Um, we're going to dig into some of those policy recommendations, and that that is actually very significant uh, because the I I I, I want to get into some of those some of those things with you all um, eventually, but I. Um, because it, it actually is about, all about people's time and space and how they use it, uh, which I'm glad that they recognize. But the first thing I want to do before we get started is just, um, you know, you all are, are you know, have, have been associated with either the Hill or parts of the Hill or, or interacting with the Hill for your careers. Uh, and, and the organizations that you're in now, uh, you know, interact with Congress and have a, have a stake in Congress actually functioning. Uh, from not just from a moral perspective or ethical perspective, but from a, a practical perspective. Uh, Keenan, why don't we start with you about what's your relationship with the, the select committee been like in terms of, you know, uh, either testimony, recommendations, or just informal conversations with members and staff? Thank you, Jason, for that question. Um, the, I, I have to say the Select Committee on Modernization has been a breath of fresh air. I started uh, on the Hill about 10 years ago, and when I got there, I was alarmed by the lack of diversity um, on the Hill at, from the most junior to senior levels. And so immediately I took it on as a personal project, and it became a passion, and it's really how um, I was able to work with others to start the Black Women's Congressional Alliance. Um, and so this at the start of this Congress, um, I was invited to speak to the committee about one of the pillars that both of the members spoke about a lot, staff capacity, and how do we retain and recruit and attract more diverse talent. I, I love that the committee has not been looking at it singularly at pay. It's about all of the benefits. It's about the environment. Um, diversity, I often tell people when, I'm, when they ask me about diversity and inclusion and what does it practically mean. Um, diversity is when you are being invited to the party, but inclusion is when you're actually being asked to dance. And so the committee is helping Congress think about it in that way. It's one thing to get a diverse candidate in a role, but then how are they uh, received and included and supported once they're actually in that environment? And so the committee's recommendations, but then actually being able to put it on the radar of members um, without member attention, staff diversity is simply not going to happen. So the increase to the MRA, the increase to pay were really uh, pivotal tools that staff have called for for a number of years. But I don't think what I don't think without the select committee and the platform that it gave these issues, um, I don't know if it would have happened in this way. So, very grateful, Brad. Well, you occasionally have conversations with people from Congress yourself. <laughs> what's uh, what? What's your uh, perspective? What's what's it been like interacting with this committee? 
Well, I've been working in and around the Congress for 36 years, and I'd have to say that my work with the Modernization Committee in the last three years has been the most rewarding experience of my professional life. We were brought in early on uh, to talk to the committee and uh, help design their first retreat, which they had in the Library of Congress. And I was witness to that. One of our consultants was there uh, working with them as a facilitator, also with Bruce Patton of Harvard University, who are just an amazing facilitator. And for six hours, 12 public servants got together and tried to solve the problem of how Congress could work better. And I could tell you, folks, if the American public was in that room for those six hours, they would have a completely different view of the United States Congress than they have today because they were collaborative, they were honest, they were vulnerable, they were creative. Um, it, 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 as, as Chairman Kilmer and Vice Chairman Timmons says, there was no red and blue jerseys in the room. It was just problem solvers and it was just a joy to watch. And they have been, frankly, kicking ass and taking names for three years. Mark, how about you? Yeah, uh, it's been great working to me. From the very beginning, uh, we've long been advocates of a new reform committee effort. Uh, we've done a lot of research on what worked and what didn't work. Uh, and so one of the things I noticed from the beginning is they, uh, the committee, you know, Kilmer in particular, wanted to bring in other people. Normally when committees hold hearings, they try to bring in witnesses that back up their, their position already. They were been genuinely looking for different answers and solutions, a, a very wide open process, a diversity of groups uh, to get as much input as possible. And I, and I think it shows they've really had remarkable accomplishments. Uh, part of it is the temperament of both uh, Timmons and Kilmer, I think, have helped a lot because they're kind of modeling what committees should work, how they should work. And so our experience with them has been that they're continually looking for more information. They've invited us to testify numerous times. Uh, they've looked at some of the work we've done, and they just there's eating up information from people outside on how to make the institution work better, which is essential. And let's face it, if, if Congress does not work, the power all goes to the executive branch, and the Constitution doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. Keenan, I want to kind of return to something that you that, that kind of came up when you were talking about the importance of of having a platform and and and, and to to be able to communicate. Um, concerns from from you know a staff perspective and this the the this committee uh, in the 116th and the 117th has coincided with not just uh, not just trying to make the place work more efficiently with long-standing issues whether it's pay morale diversity uh, and so forth but uh, during a pandemic uh, where everybody had to learn how to work from home real quickly. Uh, and 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 then January six, where uh, democracy itself was attacked uh, in, in, a, in an attempt to disrupt the counting electoral votes uh, in January six, twenty twenty one. How important has it been for this committee to have that the to be a conduit, you know, for people on staff to communicate not just to the members of that committee, but to the rest of the of the public, really their their concerns and and their what they think about how the place should run. Yeah, Jason, that's such an important question because I, I, you know, as we were talking ahead of this call, I think it was Brad that raised uh, this pivotal moment we were sitting in, where staff have um, when you live through an insurrection and you and you survive a pandemic and all you got the confluence of those things, staff have just really found their voice. Um, 
I started just a decade ago on the Hill and it was staff were all about being behind the scenes and you didn't want to get out of pocket and say the wrong thing and embarrass your boss. You didn't want to seem like an individual. And we are in a moment where staff are speaking up for themselves. And this committee has been uh, receptive to that. They have invited staff organizations to the table. They've invited me to the table to speak on behalf of staff. And that's in a very formal setting, like a hearing, but also uh, behind the scenes, I've had a, a very open door policy with the committee and being able to chat about what are we seeing. And what I love about the members of this committee, the, both the chair and ranking member and, and the members who uh, have agreed to do this, um, they want to hear the good and the bad. They're, they're you know, so often um, we worry about members of Congress and their egos. We would get in front of them and we want to tell them that everything is going great and that they are doing great, but they have all been receptive to the fact that things have been done a certain way a long time. Um, and for change to happen, um, we all need to get a bit uncomfortable. So I, 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 you know, it being a committee of Congress gives it a greater level of attention. We get the, um, even something as simple as a hearing notice going out with all of these diverse witnesses that have never had an opportunity or been welcomed to have a stage before Congress. It is a very huge deal. We're bringing new voices, new perspectives to the table um, in, in such an important way. And so I, I think the work of this committee is going to be very lasting um, far beyond. We want it, hopefully it gets renewed next Congress, but I, I think whether that happens or not, um, the, the impression has been made. And I think people have an awareness that uh, did not exist before we've um, formally um, had this committee. I, I do want to acknowledge all of the people who work behind the scenes, pro-democracy organizations that call for this committee for a number of years. Um, so this is this is a work long coming and to now see it in fruition is um, just simply outstanding. And it means so much to diverse staff in the Black Women's Congressional Alliance. Brad, uh, you're, uh, you, you, you did mention this, you know, the, the, the importance of just having this, you know, having this committee to be a voice for, for staff. I think um, the, sometimes even, even we, you know, like we're all very versed in how Congress works and so forth, and it's easy to lose track of the fact that, you know, roughly 27,000 people work for the legislative branch of the, of the United States, uh, you know, and, and that's not all in the House, obviously. This is, we're talking about, you know, primarily the House, but it is just, it is so difficult to, to cut through for people to, to actually be heard because there's just so many people. Yeah, and I think that the committee has shined a light on the broader community that is the United States Congress and the support system that is required for the Congress to function well. And we're going to be doing some research and releasing some research with the Partnership for Public Service, which includes the first major staff survey on the state of the Congress on June 1st. And it's a group of exemplary congressional staff that we've recruited to answer this survey. And it shows that they do have an extraordinary commitment of public service 
And I think we've witnessed that, and that has come out a little bit in the last couple of years in a way that, frankly, wasn't there uh, a few years ago because, as Keenan said, staff were expected to be seen and not heard. And now I think there's a little bit more of a voice being given to congressional staff to improve the working conditions of the Congress. And this isn't just about better pay and better working conditions in the spirit of helping one segment of the workforce, because when this segment of the workforce performs well, the Congress performs better. And when the Congress performs better, it's better for the American people. And I think one of the things that Chairman Kilmer and Vice Chairman Timmons have done a very good job of is connect those dots between an improved Congress to an improved work product to improved policy in the service of the American people. And, and Mark, I, I feel like from talking to, to Kilmer and Timmons, you, you get the sense that one of the, one of the obstacles to a, a committee like this being successful and to broader efforts is Somebody has to go first. Somebody has to be vulnerable. Somebody has to open themselves up. How difficult has is that in in a place like Congress? Because it's difficult even in like personal relationships and uh, and 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 things of maybe less consequence than uh, a body that can declare war. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and this is where you got to give uh, this committee a lot of credit. Is that normally you just go. To do what the partisan thing is to do, right? You're the majority, you you rule. And the committee's gone overboard to try to actually break up that model and realize that each of them is a member of Congress who has unique and very similar functions to each other. Uh, and I think this is what they've worked on. I mean, of course, the staff work is exceptionally important. And I, I think it's important, but of course, people elect members and members hire staff, which I think one of the things that's so important about what they've done is worked on better management and better education. Part of the problem is they don't get a job on the Hill because they were a great manager, either good at campaigns or, or legislation or, or press. And all of a sudden, they find themselves managing a group of people. And this is part of the reason you have the problems you have. Uh, so the, the management training and the idea of making a more professional house management system helps members do their job better. Uh, the other thing, too, they focused on is, is, is continuing education. This is the only part of the federal government that doesn't have tuition reimbursement. They're passing $4 trillion budgets, and they can't go back to college to get some additional information on how to do it better. Uh, and so this is something else the committee's recommended to, to move forward on, and I think it's a really important step for the future. But the key thing for them is to the members lead by making their own staffs better and by being better managers and hiring better managers to run their staffs so that staff is treated better and they run more professionally. Uh, Keenan, one of the... One of the very like tangible uh, recommendations that is now a part of, of the House, I mean, it, it has been adopted, uh, was that they they had a one they, they established a once they didn't I mean they the, the House itself did uh, from their recommendation, but there is now a one stop uh, hub for for human resources uh, in in the House, and you know so that they're they're. This it, it it sounds almost unbelievable that that wouldn't exist, but again, you know, this we're talking about you know 435 independent contractors or small business people <laughs> running running this place. Um, how how significant is that that there is now a permanent you know one stop HR hub and a permanent office of diversity and inclusion that that manages a lot of these these um, issues that with the workforce. Uh, Jason, I mean, is probably one of the, you know, I would dare to say it's one of the top five most important things that's happened in Congress this year. Uh, 
to Mark's earlier point about they're not, um, you don't become a manager on the Hill because you were a great manager. I was a chief of staff and part of my work was growing other talented managers. Otherwise you'll, you'll get caught up in um, the minutia of the day and you'll never get to serve the American people. Um, but that's not what people talk to you about when they think about Congress, they talk to you about lawmaking and they talk to you about constituent services. But a, a huge part of my job as a chief was figuring out who is getting along with who, how do I put my staff in the best possible position to succeed? Um, and without that being formal, without HR and the infrastructure being formalized, we leave it too much to, to chance. People perform so much better when they have clear goals, guidelines, boundaries, consistency. There has to be some fairness and openness about how we operate as a body. And we are a part of the most deliberative body. We, we should uh, set the stage by having um, an HR department. It's a miracle that we have function this long without it. And I think, you know, uh, in the past few years, we've seen some of the grave consequences that happen when we don't have uh, accountability, a place to escalate um, these concerns. So it, it is a it is a huge thing. I think it's a, uh, a win for the country uh, that we have this uh, because you, you, you need a place that makes uh, these rules. And, and as, for, as far as the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, without diversity and inclusion does not happen without, without intention. And, and what that office is saying is that this is a priority of this Congress. This is who we want to be. And it's got to be a, an involvement in moving target that's informed with current information. But at least we're setting we're setting the stage for who we're going to be um, as a country and what our, where our values lie. And so it's, it's a huge improvement to um, where we where we are as a body. Casey, can I build on that point for a second? Please, please. One of the things that has been not said here is that the committee came into existence with zero legislative power. The only power they had was the power of good ideas and to persuade the rest of the institution to adopt them, which is really astonishing in Washington because most power is brute force in D.C. And so we now have seen the committee schedule change in the 117th Congress where we have committee work weeks so that members have a week dare I say, just to focus on committee activity so it doesn't interfere with four votes. We now have the beginning of professional development for members. And I give credit to the chief administrative officer of the House, Catherine Spinder, for literally taking the idea that the committee made for professional development and running with it. There's a podcast that members can listen to called The Exemplary Member, focusing on how to improve things. They've set up an executive coaching session and ability for members of Congress who can quietly and confidentially you know, seek out how to be better at their jobs. Those things wouldn't have happened except for a couple of things. One, the brilliance of the ideas of the committee, but also the collaboration with the institutional offices, which have been open to that. I mean, we actually are seeing, and I rarely use these terms, entrepreneurial bureaucrats working in the House of Representatives. And it's a really joyous thing to see if you're wonks like me and Mark and Keenan to see these people actually implement these ideas and see the fruits of those, those good ideas come into reality. And and Mark, I mean, the, I, I can't help but think that even if, you know, like there is a change in the majority uh, in, in January, 
um, you know, that a lot of these changes are here to stay. We're not going back to a more decentralized HR system. <laughs> We're not going back to ignoring issues of diversity and inclusion. Uh, not, not that they were completely ignored, but like this, as Keenan said, the, having a permanent office establishes this as like, this is a priority. This is something that we are, are going to be a part of our decision-making process. It, it seems like the way that Kilmer and Timmons and, and, and Tom Graves before, you know, who was the vice chair before uh, uh, Timmons became vice chair, that they, they have sought such good consensus um, outside of their committee that a lot of these changes seem to be here for good. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It, it's, I think it's true also. I, but part of that is just making members aware of some very basic things is that you know, most members of Congress have two most valuable assets. That's their time and their staff. And it's really in their self-interest to treat their staff better, to help them be managed better, to help them succeed. And as, as, as Chairman Kilmer was saying, the longer they stay, the more value they bring. Uh, when you, you treat staff poorly, you know, they learn a lot in a short period of time, and then they leave. And the institutional knowledge goes away. Uh, and then it, 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 and I think that's one of the biggest problems is that you keep these people on a longer period of time and you manage them better, they serve the constituents better. And I think that's, it's a matter of just realizing that in the bipartisan way, it's in their own self-interest to do this. So, Keenan, what do we have to do to get the Senate to do something similar? <laughs> You know, Jason, I saw you ask that question of the members, and I was thinking, oh, we dodged that bullet. Um, you know, I'm encouraged by what Kilmer revealed in, the, in his comments and that people are seeking the information. Um, I think we advocacy has always been powerful. There were groups that called for the uh, House uh, Select Committee. I, I think we just need to keep the, the pressure on. The, the Senate, so I'm a creature of the house and I don't mind saying that the Senate's always been a bit slower. Um, so it's okay if they catch up to us. <laughs> and so I, th I think we keep the pressure on. I think we keep the issues forward. Um, there is a Senate diversity uh, office. While, and, and so while there's not all the issues, I do want to acknowledge that they're, um, and they were the first to do it. But I, I think the idea is just to, to keep the pressure on and, and keep um, advocating for uh, these sort of reforms. I, I certainly know that staff would love it. And there's a lot of conversations where uh, Senate staff are saying, well, what are you guys doing in the House? And I worry that um, some of the staffers that I support are moving from the Senate to the House because of all of the reform and the change that's happening. You know, people will go where they are treated well and, and receive well. So um, you don't want, you don't want to, uh, you know, have a, a brain drain there. So that's that's my recommendations for the United States Senate. Jason, I have the solution to this. The Senate can't stand the idea of the House, the lower chamber, having things that it doesn't have. And so I think we just need to continue like, like to point electronic this. voting. <laughs> yeah, like like well, I've got my list here. I've started the ability to um, have live streaming and hearings and business meetings, uh, a bipartisan office of diversity, uh, a uh, office of whistleblowers for employees, a digital services group. They can submit legislation and extension of remarks electronically. These are all things the House has, the Senate.
Senate has. Here's the kicker. House staffers can now get paid more than United States senator because of the decoupling of that. I'm sure that senators aren't aware of that because I know the moment that they are, they will run to create a, a new modernization committee. So I think that's the key is to continue to point out the House is now really outshining. And I have to say the professional development departments between those two right now are, are night and day. There's new leadership in the Senate professional development department. And I have high hopes that they'll start following the House model in providing better professional development for employees, because what the House is providing now is so much better than has been available for decades in the House of Representatives. Yeah, Mark, uh, the, there, there's, there's only so much of the aura, right, of being uh, working in the Senate uh, that, that will keep you there if, if, like, somebody, like, you went to school with is all of a sudden making more money than you, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, having worked in the Senate, so I will put in a good word for the Senate, is, you know, it's interesting because for a long time, the Senate was more collegial than the House. The House has been dealing with its polarization now pretty sharply for the last 30 years or so. And the Senate really have tried to maintain the collegiality to the members for a much longer period of time. We just saw the stories about Orrin Hatch this weekend uh, following his, his, uh, his death. But the, the big change that will come about really is to get to serious reform, you need to do a joint committee. And this is what's been done in history. I, mean, I think the House went, and then Kilmer and Timmons, especially in the last Congress, and Grace before that, have shown that how it can work that you can have a bipartisan group of people get together, which is more natural for the Senate than it is for the House. So they can do it. But to really make the big reforms, to, to change the institution, to change the structures, to change the budget process, to, to restore the rules, to maybe come up with a compromise on the filibuster, it will require a joint committee where members of both the House and the Senate are getting together, modeled almost exactly the way the Modernization Committee has been modeled. But that would be the next big step and it's the one way I think the Senate can go ahead and make some reforms that are all to do. And I, and I wonder what would be the tipping point for, for senators. We have a lot of new senators uh, over the course of the last couple of elections. Uh, some of them are very, you know, kind of maybe oriented to this. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney used to be a, a, you know, he worked at Bain Capital. So he knows, I mean, but what do you think will be that tipping point for getting the Senate to say, like, okay, we're we're going to be a part of this. We're going to we're going to be a part of like modernizing this place. Part of it, I think, is is the Senate is getting younger, because quite frankly, there's this difference in management styles. I think more current management, younger managers, understand the importance of their staff being the most valuable resource. And part of the old guard, I think, doesn't like change. Right? You got power, you you figure out how the system works, so you don't want a lot of change. But the more younger members that come in, the newer that come into both the House and the Senate, the more I think change is going to happen simply because they just understand the relationship between them and staffs and the way good management works to make the, uh, an organization more efficient. Well, we've got uh, just a little over a minute left. I, uh, I I wanted to, you know, just really thank you all for, for taking the time uh, to talk about this. I mean, it, it's a... It's a topic that, you know, sometimes people say like, well, why would you want to spend time talking about like how the place is run? That seems very insider. And and I think that one of the things that all five of, of you have, have really communicated well that, you know, Derek Kilmer and William Timmons and uh, Keenan Austin-Reed, Brad Fitch, Mark Strand, is that if the place works better, 
we have a chance at actually democracy working a little better. Uh, I, I don't think that's too high a, a, a bar to, to, to room for. So uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, and and, uh, and I really appreciate it. Uh, that's going to wrap up today's event. Thank you to our speakers for being a part of this important and timely discussion and to the House Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress for making today's dialogue possible. If you missed any portion of today's program, it will be available on RollCall.com and on RollCall's YouTube and Facebook page. Please enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>